but it's a story of Black immigration. And the important thing is that we highlight that Black immigrants have contributed to global experience of the Black community, the Africans in diaspora. So it's not always that Black immigrants or any type of immigrant ends up being great and doing something amazing, or that their immigration story is a story of outright success. But it's the things that can come from that that are worthy of being highlighted. That was Con Branch, corporate immigration legal writer for Erickson Immigration Group. This year, we wanted to take an outward-facing scope during Black History Month, in particular, examining the exportation of the Black experience abroad. We take a look at a few notable figures in American history who used the challenging conditions of their homeland as a creative force to bring insight to the world outside their borders, and discuss how similar dynamics today still disproportionately impact Black Americans in America. Here's that conversation. Enjoy. We talk about the Black experience and the Black immigrant experience. It all has a common thread, but it's unique in its own right. For those who came from a situation outside of the United States and found it pressing to, to come to the United States so they can carry out their actualization, the United States helped allow that opportunity within the borders that maybe they couldn't find outside of the borders. But as we know, that can also go both ways. There are certain instances here in the United States, especially in our history, where Black Americans, Black immigrants couldn't express themselves to the fullest extent given the time period that they were living in, and they opted to move outside of the United States so they can live out that full expression. I know you had a couple of examples of those. So it's important that when we began doing this work on this podcast, that we, when we looked over the names of, of people that we thought we should highlight, that we not fall into the trap of identifying immigrants, whether they be to the United States or from the United States, and highlight them because of the exceptional things that they've done, because then it ties the expectation of immigrants to all be extraordinary. Immigrants seek a place in another country because they are looking for community and an opportunity. And that's the important thing before anything else in identifying um, these immigrant experiences that we were looking over, whether it be for Dominique Jackson coming to the United States, eventually becoming a ballroom icon, and then becoming a well-known actress and model through um, her participation in various fashion shows and on Pose, or for example, James Baldwin, who left the United States or Josephine Baker, who was just recently honored by the French government with a ceremonial burial at the Pantheon because of her contributions to the French Republic during the Second World War. She wasn't able to pursue artistry as she hoped while living in the United States and growing up in St. Louis. And so she moved to France and she, while she was there, she ended up becoming one of the most extraordinary and really the first Black superstar, globally recognized Black superstar because of her um, dance, because of her music, and because of her um, contributions to French culture and French society there. 1925, wasn't it, when you went to Paris, first of all? Uh, what was Josephine Baker like in 1925? Josephine Baker at that moment was a very frightened girl. Yes, frightened because, you see, there were special reasons for that fright, the uncertainty. Josephine Baker was the girl who left St. Louis to come to Europe to find freedom. And she fell in love with France. She found her home there. She made Paris the city that was her place of solace. And then when the Second World War broke out, she gave herself over um, to the 
entirety of the French people and served as a spy during the Second World War for the um, French resistance. She traveled between North Africa and throughout Europe, spying and working with Allied forces against the Nazis, risking death and a horrible death at that. Um, for those who don't know, the punishment for spies has historically been cruel, um, but especially so mm -hmm. under the Nazi regime and for Nazi France. Um, she did this throughout the entirety of the war. And at the end of the war, she was recognized by the French government with several um, state honors. The most recent one being that she was ceremonially buried in the Pantheon, which is reserved for French heroes. She was the first mm -hmm. and she remains um, the first Black woman to be given this honor. And this was a ceremonial burial. I say that because some dirt from St. Louis was actually buried in the Pantheon. When she died in the 1960s, she was so revered and loved that Princess Grace of Monaco actually participated in paying for her burial. And she was buried mm -hmm. in Monaco. And so her grave was not disturbed. But in honor of her contributions and her helping save France and in defeating Germany in World War II, they decided to do a ceremonial burial for her, which is all of it is really speaks to how remarkable a woman she was as a result yeah, and that was of during her, the 20s and yeah, yeah that was in the 20s and the 30s i had a question what was the first impetus that made her go global made her go outside of the united states was it just because she had such a global fan base or was there something in the states that was missing that she needed to go outside the borders so she realized that the opportunity for her to really make it big was in France. Josephine Baker would never have gotten anywhere with her dance in Revue Negre in 1925 New York, whereas it turned 1925 Paris on its head. France, and especially Paris, was a city of culture and a city that was recognized for international talent. That's where all the dance crazes were going and coming. That's where music that was being internationally watched was coming from. Speak to the conditions in France, because I think that transitions well into James Baldwin, because he was also an artist, a creative, that found, I guess, more mobility and more flexibility what was the environment at the time in, in France that allowed Black Americans to fully flourish in their creations? Moving to France was an opportunity for her to not have to deal with the racism that she would have experienced here in the United States. There was not the same level of disdain for Black performers or the expectation that Black performers would only appear on American or Black circuits of entertainment, like the Chitlin circuit mm -hmm. that would have been frequented by a lot of Black musicians and Black artists who lived and worked mm -hmm. in the South like she would have. Um, she came to France with the belief that this would be a place for her to be able to produce music for everybody and anybody without the expectation of only performing before white, uh, before Black audiences or at Black venues. And it's the same thing that James Baldwin was able to do when he moved to France. He was able to engage in critical writing about the Black experience in the same way that Josephine Baker was able to produce Black-inspired music um, without the white gaze upon them that would require them to only create and be visible for Black communities. The children asked him the same question I wanted answered. Why did he move to Paris? Paris is very important to me because I was able to... Um, well, I was able to take a deep breath, and I was able... This may sound a very corny way to put it, but I wanted to... I wanted to find out where... 
being black ended where I began or vice versa. I mean that some things had happened to me because I was Jimmy and some things had happened to me because I was black. And I wanted to find out how to get these things together because I didn't want to spend the rest of my life going around saying, you treat me that way because I'm black. Baldwin moved to France towards the end of the Harlem Renaissance, which was an excellent and very important period for black artistry and Black growth, but unfortunately was turned inwardly towards the Black community. A lot of, uh, it was not generally seen as influential at that time for the wider Western artistic experience or artistic movements. And so when they moved to France, they were able to contribute to artistry for the sake of Josephine Baker and writing for James Baldwin in ways that did not relegate them only to the Black community in America, but a global stage. After attaining worldwide acclaim as a Black writer, Baldwin wrote Giovanni's Room, an explicitly homosexual love story. His publishers in New York refused to print it for fear of alienating his newly acquired white, middle-class audience. Baldwin was furious and took the book to England for publication. You published Giovanni's Room very early. To export that very unique and specific experience to the rest of the world from the eyes and the lenses of Americans and Black Americans, which is one of the most unique experiences, you know, because <laughs> you're the most subjugated class in a country that's supposed to be the land of the free. So you're already living in mm -hmm. a contradiction. You're already living in a dichotomy that uh, does not balance out. But from that comes great works of art and creativity and expression because as an American, you're, you're wrestling with that tension from the ideals of the Bill of Rights and the lived experience of the everyday American. And that's what helped produce the great works. And people like Josephine Baker and James Baldwin was able to export that and communicate that to the rest of Europe and, of course, the, the rest of the world. And now they have a, a better understanding of the American experience and Black American experience. Look, look, I don't mean it to you personally. I don't even know you. No. I got nothing against you. I don't know you personally. But I know you historically. You can't have it both ways. You can't swear to the freedom of all mankind and put me in chains. It sounds as if you believe that slavery put a curse on us somehow. Well, it is a curse, you know. Um, the American sense of reality is dictated by, by what Americans are trying to avoid. And if you're trying to avoid reality, how can you face it? Also on the legislative side, how mm -hmm. immigration policy affects black immigrants uh, disproportionately than other immigrants. So I know right now the conversation is, surrounds Title 42. And Senator Chuck Schumer, he's the majority leader, and it's him among around 100 Democrats. They're, they're seeking review of how black migrants are being treated in immigration enforcement systems. And it falls under Title mm -hmm. 42, which allows for the rapid expulsion of migrants without giving them a chance to apply for asylum within the United States. And this disproportionately affects Haitian immigrants. And we know that was a big case, you know, in fall of 2021. This was something that disproportionately impacts Black migrants, and they spend more time in solitary confinement 
in migration detention centers, deported more than any other group or population, and they're given higher bonds set by immigration judges. Mm -hmm. the immigrant experience is one thing, and there's also an extra twist when it comes to the black immigrant experience. So I, I didn't want to miss out on that. I know we were talking about the, the great contributions, but in today's migration experience, black immigrants somehow fall to the most severe policies that are placed upon immigration law. Well, this is a good a good place to speak about Polly Murray, who is another example of a Black immigrant. She lived in Ghana, left the United States in the 1960s to work and live in Ghana for a short while, where she wrote um, a very well-known book, The Constitution and Government of Ghana. Um, but before that, she wrote a very well-known piece, a very well-known book, a treatise on civil rights, several very important civil rights activists, Thurgood Marshall, Martin Luther King, they called it the Bible for civil rights. Polly Murray wrote State's Law on Race and Color. She really began to set out the way that racism is manifest in the laws of the United States. And it's thanks to her foundation that we can even now look at policies that may be neutral in the way that they're written, but the way that they are applied and look at them and say, how are they affecting communities disproportionately compared to other communities, like the way that Title 42 and the current immigration procedures are negatively impacting Black immigrants to the United States of America, like Haitians, mm -hmm. like West Africans. So again, this is another individual who Im immigrated from the United States in the hope of being able to reconnect with her identity as a Black individual living in America um, with, with Black people in their homeland, um, but then came back to the United States to continue to help identify issues of not only racism, but sexism in America. People might know Polly Murray from the stories um, and recent tributes uh, for the recently departed Justice Ginsburg, who worked with her in writing a lot of the policies that identified mm. sex discrimination issues. Her ability as a Black immigrant abroad and then coming back to the United States, these experiences that she brought with her and the influence that she had in being able to identify these things that we continue to make sure that American law and American policy does not negatively impact or inappropriately impact minority communities. I appreciate you, Khan, for coming on because I know that you are very well versed in your history, American history, immigration history, and in cultural history. And we find it important to have these conversations about the total immigrant experience and why people decide to move and for what reasons and what that experience is, what experience are they taking with them and how is that being used to further the conversation, further improvement within the borders and exporting that excellence and that perspective outside the borders as well. And the Black immigrant experience contributed in that way. And when it comes to law, it would be wise to look at how these laws are put in place and how it disproportionately affects Black immigrants. And that's where the focus should lie because once the conditions of that group is improved, the condition of all groups are improved. We know that more often than not, and when laws negatively impact groups, it usually is the ones who have the least amount of resources or have the least amount of leverage. And so we have to make sure that 
nobody's left behind. So, absolutely. Con, I thank you, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And especially during Black History Month, it's important to highlight that Black history is a history that impacts all aspects of not only American, but Western society, um, whether it be the story of Black immigrants who've come to America and ended up contributing like those people that we've mentioned or have left the United States. It's also the story of our parents and our grandparents. You know, you can think of people like Shirley Chisholm, whose parents were immigrants, or Constance Baker Motley, who was the daughter of immigrants, even Cicely Tyson, um, who was recently highlighted by USCIS, um, the daughter of immigrants. We have so many of these stories and experiences um, throughout Black history that, again, highlight the unique place that it has in not only American history, but also the history of the West. So thank you for allowing me the chance to speak about it. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.